You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As it says, this is your Locked On Indians podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. Today's show, we will talk about the game today, um, what was observed and seen, We'll look at some stats, point of views. We'll look at some advanced stats, kind of go through and dig into those. And then lastly, we'll look at some minor transactions that might uh, have more value than they would appear on surface value that the Indians made over the last few days. So today's game was a 4-1 to one loss at the hands of the Detroit Tigers. The game stood out for a couple of reasons. The first being, if you remember in an earlier podcast, I talked about how Trevor Bauer's home run rate had had a significant drop last year, going from a higher rate to the lowest in ba- in the American League, at least last year, and how for some players like Josh Tomlin, those home run rates are consistent. But for a lot of other players, it's a stat that can vary heavily year to year, and that's why there's there are two um, predictors, FIP and XFIP. And those are fielding independent ERAs, and they give you value. Um, they're very good at predictive of how a pitcher will do, and they're just based on what the pitcher did. You know, it's taking kind of out bad fielding around them. And the reason we have two different ones is because with FIP, it's just all the stats added in, and with XFIP, they normalize the home run rate for everyone. So that's why a pitcher like Josh Tomlin in XFIP is significantly higher, and that is basically the main difference there and the reason for that is again because of the variance in home run rate now i had expressed that with bauer there's a good chance that we would see some regression there that that home run rate was very unlikely to stay at the low point that it was a year ago it may not reach the previous highs but we weren't going to see him have the lowest rate in baseball and it's just his third start so let's not go running out terrified but he did give up two home runs today the Detroit Tigers had had three home runs all season Uh, they are not a team with a lot of power hitters so and you know it's a to see him give up those home runs was a bit discouraging for Hicks and Goodrum it was their first of the year and you look Nico Goodrum kind of plays all over for them he had a really strong day he's having a good year and Jordan Hicks is the backup catcher So it wasn't like it was uh, Miguel Cabrera or Nick Castellanos, Christian Stewart, guys a little bit known for power. These are guys who uh, you're not counting on them going out there and uh, putting up the big power number. The rest of his game was pretty solid. Low walks, seven strikeouts across uh, 15 and two-thirds. It's not as high as he was, but it's still pretty good. The 10 hits is a little bit of a concern. He was very hittable today, and when he was hit, he was able to be hit hard. And again, that's just something as he continues this year we want to kind of monitor with Bauer is how many home runs is he serving up. Last year, I think it was .6 home runs per nine innings. Um, previously before that, he was averaging over one consistently every season. So that's why, like I said, I just wanted to – bring that out uh nick Whit- whitgreen and i totally got it wrong nick Whitgren, who they got late in the season he was a late release i uh, was 
kind of hoping he'd make the roster. I was a big fan of his production with the Marlins. He had been a solid, steady reliever. He wasn't great. He wasn't awful, but he was good. And today he came in, pitched one in the third innings, four strikeouts, one hit. We'll see how long he stays up, but I would much rather have him than Neil Ramirez, who relieved him, who pitched well as well. I mean, one hit and one walk in one inning isn't ideal, but also the two strikeouts. In terms of the, uh, the hitter side of things, Santana continues to get on base. Hanley Ramirez continues to get on base. And those two are clearly the Indians' best hitters right now. I think they need to kind of juggle the lineup a bit. If only because you want Santana and Ramirez getting a few more at-bats, pushing those guys each up one spot. I mean, Jordan Luplow and Taylor Tyler Naquin should never be hitting third. I don't care if Naquin is hitting over or just about 300 now. Put Santana in the three spot, put Ramirez in the four spot. It might be just a handful of at-bats, but you want your best hitters getting as many at-bats as possible. And Santana has been absolutely fantastic, and Ramirez has been better than I could have hoped. And if he stays a three-outcomes type of guy, that's still going to be extremely productive in that DH spot. And I will take a 230 hitter if he's going to have 25-plus home runs and also walking at an extremely high rate. One of the other interesting things is Roberto Perez had two hits today. Um, Kevin Dean, who's an extremely smart uh, Indians follow on Twitter, had pointed out to me when I I made a tweet, and I'll go into what my tweet was about, that uh, Roberto Perez, an expected um, weighted on base percentage, is actually second on the Indians. And there's with him, there's some signs of life. He is not uh, – the stats this year aren't great on paper, but what is interesting is he is hitting the ball hard. So there is that hope that maybe he's been a little bit unlucky and that maybe he will improve as the year goes on. He'll get a little bit more. And while his performance hasn't been the strongest so far, that at least there are reasons for optimism for him to trend upwards. Though it is kind of funny as I talk about that when you look at Roberto Perez. So he had arguably, I don't know, I think it's arguable, he had his best game of the year. The two hits he had today doubled his hit total for the season so far. And when he had that, it actually, they weren't hard hit balls. So when you look at some of the expected data, he was uh, amongst the upper percentage, I think the top 10% of players in barreled percentage. And all of that changed after the game. So a lot of his stat cast batting actually went down after he had his most productive game of the year. So take that for what it's worth. Now, the tweet that I mentioned I had sent out earlier that had elicited this uh, comment from Kevin, who, again, I highly recommend. He's a really bright guy and makes some great points on Twitter, is that uh, after Perez's two hits today, that he moved out of the bottom three amongst uh, everyday starters for the Cleveland Indians in terms of batting average and on-base percentage. And in terms of batting average, the three worst Indians are from worst to, you know, we'll start at the worst hitter and go backwards. It uh, Batting average, it went, let me make sure I get this right, uh, Eric Stametz, then Max Morhoff, and then Jose Ramirez. And in terms of on-base percentage, it went Max Morhoff, Eric Stametz, Jose Ramirez. And, you know, I just tweeted out one of these things and not like the other. And that's, it. 
shows to me two things. One, more often Stamets um, aren't really showing any reason to keep them around. It's early on. you got to give players a time. Um, more Stamets than Morhoff just because I trust Stamets' defense more and he has not had an extended look before, whereas Morhoff has had some time with the Pirates and he has never performed. He just had a, the only thing that stood out was his walk percentage, so not uh, an ideal situation there. And, you know, the difference obviously being Ramirez is supposed to be the one of the central hitters to this team, and instead he just can't get together. And we saw the struggles last year. I had someone tweet at me, he hadn't hit since June of last year, and that's not true. He had uh, He was hitting up until about September, October, and that is when the wheels fell off. He had a really strong uh, production in August and even into, uh, no, not into September, into August and July. Um, he was great. He was fantastic. And it was one of those things where he was getting close to that 40 home run mark and it seemed to fall apart. And my bigger concern just in this regard is if you remember back to when he first came up, uh, he was given a chance at shortstop probably as a time manipulator for Lindor. And he played pretty well. And then the next year, he was given the chance to start the season in shortstop, but knew Lindor was breathing down his neck. And he got very much in his own head and in his own mind, struggled mightily, was one of the worst hitters in baseball, and got demoted. And when he eventually found a place with the Indians, it was as a backup and until you know, uh, Juan Arribe stopped hitting and Ramirez just continued to hit, 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 and kind of established himself as this all-star MVP level performer for the next two years. But I do worry about the mental side of things just because we have seen him be a player where he can, I, you know, I don't know how I would describe it, but we have seen him have that issue before. Some players grow out of it. Carlos Carrasco had some similar issues in his youth, but uh, other players, it can be a problem. I don't think it's going to be extended. I'm not saying this is the end of J-Ram by any means, but I, I do think it's probably at this point more mental than anything else. And once he he's just got to get lucky, maybe fall into a few hits, feel like he's got the groove. And I think he just it's once that occurs, he'll be fine. OK, bluechew.com is the sponsor. And if you're going to do a little blue pill, who would you rather have being uh, reading and talking about it? Uh, Rafael Palmero or me? Clearly, you'd rather have me doing it, so that automatically makes Little Blue Chew, Little Blue Chew, this clearly makes Blue Chew the best place to get a little blue pill. So if you've always been curious, go to bluechew.com, promo code MLB, it's free, you just have to pay the five bucks for shipping and answer a a quick survey. Bluechew.com, promo code MLB. Okay, so... We're back. I did some of the stats, talked beforehand, um, dove into the game, and now I thought it'd be kind of fun to go over, and Baseball Savant is a fun site for all of that stat cast data. If you've been curious to kind of see some of the, uh, the more interesting new thoughts and statistics, that is the place that uh, you can find them. And it gets updated daily because uh, it's also through the MLB at this point. So I'm going to pull up the uh, the top hitters in terms of barreled percentage. If you're not familiar what barreled percentage is, it's the second time I've mentioned it, and I realize for some people they may not know. Um, it's one of those things that 
I could go into a really deep scientific definition that involves um, exit velocities and uh, angle of uh, the hitter's swing where the ball leaves the bat. But basically, this is what it comes down to. It's when a hitter hits a ball in the ideal location with the ideal strength to produce a hit that, you know, they've figured out that basically when you combine I think the exit velocity is, I think, like 97, 98. If the ball is hit that hard at, I think maybe, I can't remember the exact, it's like 31 to 50 uh, degree incline, that those are the ones where hitters are most likely going to end up with a hit. So it's kind of like the uh, quality start, but instead uh, barreled is like quality at bat or quality contact. So uh, it's that's what it is. It's basically how often is this player making quality contact? The idea being the more often quality contact occurs, the more likely a player is going to have a positive outcome. The less that you do that, the less likely you are to have that same positive outcome. Uh, for Yandy Diaz, for instance, in the past, he had the velocity, but he did not have the the swing angle to get that out of the park or to take advantage of it, at least until this year where all of a sudden they've made some adjustments and it's leaving the yard for Tampa. But it's also why we've heard about the, uh, the changes in swings and all the, uh, the science and why the Indians have messed with some certain players swings or not messed with others. When you look at the leaderboard, as I mentioned before, there's some interesting names on there in terms of players that were linked as, uh, either they've played for the Indians or possible trade targets for the Indians. And right there at the top of the list, in the top 10, you have Hunter Renfro at 6, who, when the Indians had talks with the Padres at points for starters, uh, a lot of people naturally assumed Renfro as a player who'd be near the heart of it as a semi-proven player. I say semi-proven because really until last year, he had never hit right-handers at all. But he started to show last year he was able to do it. He was about even against both lefties and righties. And uh, San Diego had such depth in the outfield that he was one of those guys that he would be attractive to the Indians. And for a team like the Padres, yes, it hurts to lose him. But when you have that much depth, you can recover. And at this point, due to the Clevenger injury and uh, the news that came out today, let me see if I still have that tweet up that... Yes, uh, to jump in here with this, that he has a high grain strain of his terrace major muscle in his upper back, that he's going to be evaluated again in six to eight weeks, which means they'll evaluate him in six weeks, and then determine his readiness to resume throwing. So best case scenario, he gets tested in six weeks, it looks good, he begins throwing, and he's still about a week and a half to two weeks out from joining the team after rehab outings. So not the best situation. You're looking at Clevenger's gone at least two months, which means... Uh, a trade with the Padres is extremely unlikely because they're not going to be trading Bauer when they're already down a starter. The other player uh, who's up there is Jay Bruce, who is all of 32 years old, was basically uh, a player that Seattle agreed to take on as a salary. Uh, you know, the Mets wanted to get rid of his salary. And he is currently seventh in the league, one spot behind Renfro and Barrel's percentage. He's got seven home runs already in Seattle. Not uh, not his average is uh, not good, but he's hitting the ball hard. Uh, high slugging percentage. It's one of those things. He's not going to keep it up. 
But it's if you're the Indians and you are running out, you know, Greg Allen, Tyler Taylor Naquin, I, I, Tyler Naquin. I don't. I seem to not. I'm just gonna start calling him Naquin, so I don't get it wrong every third time. But uh, when you're running out of Naquin, you're running out of Allen, and they're really struggling. Someone like Bruce starts to look more and more appealing. The problem there, of course, is the salary and the fact that he, I believe, is owed two years still at this point. And I was going through the Indians, and they really don't have an awful, awful contract. Maybe their best chance would be if they could uh, flip Kipnis and a low-grade prospect for somebody like Bruce if uh, Seattle agreed to eat some money next year. That's uh, that's about the closest I'd get. You know, the Indians are in a really tight situation. Um, I'll go more into payroll tomorrow, as I've already gone over my 15 minutes today. But uh, the basic thing being, this is a team with 120 million dollar payroll, and 20 million of that is currently on the disabled list. So you're looking at one sixth of the total money this team has has yet to do anything for the Indians. So, is Jay Bruce a perfect fix? Fix? No. Uh, but if he can be continue to do half of what he's done uh, in terms of his production this year, well, that probably isn't that great. That's uh, that's me being over the top. But if he can give you 75% of what he's done, that is an upgrade over what they have. And for me at this point, you have to look for ways to be creative just because they don't have upper majors um, prospects or upper minors prospects I should say that are going to really excite teams Uh, Tristan McKenzie never adding velocity in his injury history makes him a hard sell at this point Nolan Jones even though he's in the lower minors would uh, still would elicit some interest but when you go beyond those two it's a lot of guys in the lower minors and you just don't see those centerpieces around useful major league talent um, that is more than a rental or is someone you're going to count on every day. So you have to be creative at this point. And that's why I looked at this list and I'm like, oh, hey, uh, Jay Bruce is hitting. He could be cheap. Or you go down the list further and you're like, oh, Adam Engel is hitting for uh, for the White Sox. Would they flip him? And that's what you have to do. You have to see if someone's playing better than one might expect, than the history is, and there just aren't the pieces to take the big shot. So instead of trying to hit the home run, if they can make a few attempts at some doubles, that might be the best way to improve this team going forward. Uh, Again, I want to thank everyone who listens on the Himalaya app, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is. Sorry I ran over today. We're going to be closer to the 20-minute mark than the uh, 15. But uh, I hope that it's okay that you got some extra content. I want to thank everyone. Again, that's twice in this short time for listening. Um, over on 24-7, I had my full count trends go live this week. You can read about Itchy Burtz, who I've been waiting to write about just because of his name. And I am going to, by Friday, which I know is, when you're listening to this, it'll be a day away, uh, have my April mock draft up. It's all laid out. I just got to fill in my analysis, and I'm about halfway through that. So those are some things to look forward to over on Scouting Baseball. Thanks again for listening, and as always, Go Tribe!